It's time for a WeChat workout. WeChat. Go, go, go to the Cliff Central account. Tap connect. Then message to show. Stay informed and up to date. It's the Daily Maverick Show. Tuesdays, 1 to 2 p.m. on cliffcentral.com. Good afternoon. You're, you're tuned into the Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central. My name is Kingsley Kipuri and I'll be your host for the next hour. Before we begin, I'd just like to, to really get underway with the formal proceedings. So I'd like you to just stand up wherever you are for this before we get started. There. Now that was the, the African Continental Anthem. I'm joined in studio by Gushwell Brooks. Gush, welcome to the show. I'm good, um, How are you doing? I'm good, man. Did you know that Africa had a, a national anthem? Did you know that? I oh. knew that, we, uh, that the African Union has an anthem, but what I find absolutely fascinating about this one is the fact that um, this anthem is very much involved. And uh, What do you mean very much involved? <laughs> What no. do you mean very much involved? What does that mean? No, man, I was listening to the words, yeah. though, you know, to the lyrics. And I was thinking to myself, wow, it's, it's very poetic, uh, very Shakespearean almost. Man, uh, it's, 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 it's going to be a job to learn hectic, this one. It's man. Eh? Oh, sons and daughters of Africa, uh-huh. flesh of the sun and flesh of the sky. Exactly. Man, that is, that is, what does this mean to be flesh of the sky? I have no idea. Okay. So that's that word. But I guess, again, going back to okay. being poetic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, okay. So we're going to make Africa the tree of life. That's another one I wasn't sure about. I'm not sure what the tree of life is. It sounds like something from the Bible. Uh, presumably. But, I mean, after all, I mean, uh, listening to President Jacob Zuma on Sunday, yeah. he made clear that uh, this is where civilization started. This is where humanity started. Yeah. So I presume... It's, it's, you know, playing. Oh, like cradle life. of humankind. Exactly. Kind of okay. So, so, so if you're poetic about it, then it's the tree of life. You see. Uh, absolutely. So just going back to what you mentioned, President Zuma's remarks, and, and he made it very clear that, that we need to, we need to be singing this at churches. We should be singing this at schools <laughs> and that, no, I'm, don't laugh. I'm dead serious. And the idea is that as we learn it and, and, and sort of get into the whole skin, not, not skin, it's flesh of the sky, uh-huh. that we'll start loving the continent and sort of loving each other as Africans and like, so that's the, that's yeah. the general idea yeah. of what's going on. Uh, sort of that we are the world feeling, you know, when yeah. Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie and Steve Wonder came. I'm a big Lionel Richie fan. That was a good song, man. I, I'm, I'm on the Michael Jackson, Steve Wonder <laughs> okay, side. You see okay. what I'm so saying? So put our differences aside. Some West Coast, East okay. Coast stuff going on. <laughs> so, I mean, the second, I mean, honestly, when I was in the middle of explaining the plan, you actually started laughing. Now, <laughs> now I'm so, and I, <laughs> I, I, I honestly got the same response, unfortunately. Yeah. But the feeling that we've had these, these xenophobic attacks around the country and you hear the president saying that what we are going to do is sing the, the continental anthem and that's the plan to make us united as, as a continent. And I, I, I could, like, it's one of those, I don't know whether to laugh or cry situations because it feels like this is the best plan we've got. Kingsley, but as you know, I, yeah. I talk to people for a living, or yeah. part of my living at least. And, um, I've, I've spoken to a number of people about this idea, this proposal. And, and it's not been received 
with open arms. You know, people's response literally is, why do I bother? You know, why do I have to give a darn when it comes to the African National Anthem or the African Union's an- Anthem um, when, you know, I couldn't even bother having a sense of social cohesion with my fellow African. I mean, I and that for me is the issue. I mean, I hear you. Let, I mean, I just want to go through to Rafiwa Maneta. Um, Rafiwa is a reporter at Live Magazine has been doing a lot of reporting on, on xenophobia and, and, and in the space um, of, of xenophobic attacks and also linked to Africa Day and, and how the, the country is responding to this issue of African unity. Uh, Rafiwa, are you here with us? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you loud and clear, man. Now, Rob, before we get started, do you know the words for the African continent national anthem? <laughs> um, no, I You could just give us the first verse. I mean, I don't expect you to know everything. Just the first verse. Um, <laughs> no, Rob, I'm, no I'm kidding, man. I wouldn't put you through that. <laughs> so, Rob, I'm, I'm, here, I'm here with Gashwell, and we're just talking about uh, this. In, I mean, Africa Day was yesterday, so we had a lot of speeches from the AU, from the president, just around African unity and, and, and where we're going. So, I mean, what did you think when you heard this idea of we're going to be singing the anthem in, in schools, we're going to be flying the flag um, at, at sort of official functions? I mean, what do you think of all this? Mm. Well... I don't know what to say about that, mm. honestly. Like, I don't see how that would solve anything. I mean, I know I understand the motivations. The president saying stuff like, ah, you know, this is supposed to foster social co- cohesion. Mm. You know, it's supposed to instill a sense of uh, patriotism in people. But to some extent, if you look at the people, the enactors of the violence, they mm. might label themselves as patriotic themselves. They might tell that South Africa belongs mm. to South Africans, mm. this, that, and the other thing. Mm. So, I mean... If you look at the root cause of the violence, yeah. I still say it's a comp- it's a competition for resources. So I don't I don't understand how you know singing the African national anthem, you know, to what end, you know, that, it just completely defies the reason. Oh. I mean, I hear you, man. And and then I I found this out, and everybody I, I say this to thinks I'm joking, but there was a, a migrant awards ceremony held last night. <laughs> um, now, now you see you're laughing now. <laughs> Now, I'm serious. Now, Minister Malusi Gigaba announced this about two weeks ago, and they put it together, and there's a Migrant Awards. Right. I just want to quickly read um, what what sort of the vision for this event was. Now, the idea is that the Migrant Awards would honor and celebrate outstanding migrants residing in the country, um, embodying the spirit of Ubuntu. And and 100,000 rand was given to six winners in different categories. I've actually just been informed that it wasn't going to their pockets. It was given to charity. But... Again, I'm left wondering. So we have an award ceremony. We give a hundred thousand rand to six people. I mean, that goes how, to charity. That goes to another charity, and 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 I just can't help but wonder how how is this linked to the root causes of xenophobia? Rough. Your thoughts on that? It's a PR exercise, yeah. you know. Um, I mean, you know, if if you look at what the president's been saying, like from the word go, yeah. he's been sort of saying, um, he's been trying to show from the word go that you know trying to cast out Africans as, oh, no, not everyone is xenophobic. Yep, yep. Um, you know, these are isolated events. And to some extent, you can see it with, with, um, with the award show. Like, it's, I think it's just a way of sanitizing what's been happening. You know, a bit of uh. a PR exercise to say, um, you know, we're not, things aren't that bad. You know, uh, you see what we're doing. We're celebrating people. We're celebrating the achievements, yeah. what they've been doing. And, I mean, there's... And like I said, I still I still don't understand like to what end this is for. Like it's not really solving anything when you have on the same on the other end of the spectrum, government sort of doing something like Operation Fiela, yeah. um, which people have criticized. You know, um, have said like there's been a targeting of migrants. So mm. to, to, to 
my opinion is that it's a complete PR exercise. It's a way of, you know, sort of sanitizing what's been happening and just to sort of minimize the impact of, of just how, how bad things are. I mean, I like that you brought up Operation Fiela Reclaim because, I mean, as we've discussed, you know, a couple of times on the show, mm. I mean, it's, 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 it's been very clear that this is, that this is actually just a campaign to, 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 to sweep out, um, mm. foreigners in communities, right? Um, I mean, we had, we've had people like Section 27 and other activist organizations being very clear and saying this is institutionalized xenophobia. Exactly. But on the same time, on the back of that, we have an award ceremony, we're giving out hundreds of thousands of rand, and, and, ah, sorry, gosh. <laughs> don't you think though that these mixed messages that we're getting, so you have Operation uh, Fiala on the one end, which, which in itself has evolved. Uh, you know, mm. enough times now. So it starts off with, <laughs> you know, it starts off with hunting down the initiators of xenophobic violence. And the next thing, it's institutionalized xenophobic violence. And now suddenly it's in the Western Cape trying to de- eradicate the gangsterism issue while 12,000 people are arrested in KZN. Um, so you have that on the one end. On the other hand, you have a president that says that it's the media that's indoctrinating the people yeah. by using mm. words like xenophobia. Um, while simultaneously his own premier, Yen Gauteng, does use the word xenophobia. I mean, don't you think all these mixed messages is honestly leaving South Africans, the very people where we need to create the social cohesion with, confused and, quite frankly, angry? Yeah, totally. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, like you said, like so so you have government, like government departments who are supposed to be like sort of, and it's it's actually something, I wrote an article about this last week, mm. um, something about how the government, uh, even they can't sort of agree on, even they can't sort of agree on a, on a, on a solution amongst themselves. So you have, like you say, on one end, uh, a premier might be saying this is uh, xenophobia. On the other end, someone might be saying it's Afrophobia or, or one that's come up a lot, just elements of criminality here and there. And I think up to a certain extent, like, it just shows that, you know, how can I put this? It just shows um, when the government kind of agree on a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a solution amongst each other, um, you know, mm. um, I mean, what's that? What's that supposed to say to the people, like uh, the ordinary to ordinary citizens? So you know, on one end you have African Day celebrations, mm. but on the other hand you have Operation PL, and I just think it just shows how disjointed this is, and it shows how how there's, there's a refusal sort of on the government end to actually just um, to to this to accept this for what it mm. is and to just come out and say this is xenophobia. And I'm not, and I'm not sure why they're so afraid of using the word xenophobia. Maybe, maybe you'll comment on this, Casho. Uh, but you know, there's just been a, there's just been an absolute refusal on their end to call it what it is, xenophobia, and just so that we can all agree what it is and just map a way forward together. Mm. But there's just been a refusal on government's part to do that. Well, Rafilo, well, I think it's very simple. If you don't call it xenophobia, then you don't have to, uh, you know, intervene. You know, your answer, your response doesn't have to counter xenophobia. You know, you claim that it's criminality. This is a common thing. Then it, make, then it makes sense to bring the police and the army. Yeah, and so exactly. On you know, guys, it's a, it's a criminal uh, issue. Yeah, we live in a crime-ridden yeah. country anyway. So yeah. we, you know, get the cops and the, the 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 military in there, and they'll deal with this issue. That's why I think there's a refusal to to term the xenophobia. And I think that if it is accepted by government yeah. at the very top level, and they say that yes, it is xenophobia. Then the question is, how are you dealing with the underlying problems that cause the xenophobia? 
and that in itself is is a failure on on behalf of government. But, but this is the, just a quick point that I want to raise. You know, obviously before the show, Kingsley and I are chatting, and mm. we're having a conversation about this. Kingsley, you said this is government being smart. You know, as Rafila was, was was talking there, I was just thinking to myself that it's actually the direct opposite. I think that we have a government that doesn't know what they're doing. I mean, I think, I mean, just to, I like how you're calling me out on things I said. But I mean, my, this was my theory. My theory was, listen, we sit here and a lot of people are like, oh, the government is stupid and President Zuma doesn't know what he's doing, right? That's a pretty common narrative, you know, yeah. narrative that people say. So my, my, my suspicion was maybe, maybe this is actually quite planned. And it says, listen, we sit down as government and, and we're like, listen, we've got too many migrants in the country. They're causing trouble, right? Mm-hmm. Let's get them out of here. Okay, but we can't we can't publicly say we're gonna kick out all the foreigners. We look bad. Sure. So what do we do? We do twofold. Number one, we get the army, mm-hmm. and they and they're sweeping up. You know, Fiela. Sure. They're sweeping up in townships and literally deporting people as fast as possible. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's been stories of like buses ready to deport people on site, and at the same time we preach cohesion, and we have a migrant mm. awards, and we hold hands and we clap. But, and then everybody wins. So we don't, we don't, we don't have to be openly anti-foreigner because that comes with a lot of stress. And, and uh, for sure. But I mean, even if in the current form with yeah. Operation Fear, if you do both. Like, yeah. You know, you have two million migrants in this country, you know, estimated. Okay. How do you get rid of the two million? I mean, you can't get you know, rid I of mean, the, it's, uh, you're not yeah. going to be able to get rid of them that quickly. I, I honestly think that we're grasping, that the government is grasping its stra- straws. On the one end, yeah, maybe, you know, let's, let's get the undocumented ones out as quickly out, as possible. You tighten up home affairs, which has been happening. And I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but fact is home affairs yeah. has become a thing. And you, and, and visas, <laughs> visas are not what they used to be. People are like, so I think it's, I think yeah, it's, it's a simultaneous. Make it difficult for migrants to come in. Mm-hmm. Make sure any undocumented ones are kicked out, regardless of why they're here. And then preach holding hands. Rafio, what do you think of my of my theory on which Gashville forced <laughs> me to proclaim? <laughs> <my idea? laughs> well, actually, I think I'm, a cli- I'm inclined to agree with you. Yeah. Um, I think so. So, for example, like you said, like uh, like Gashville said, uh, the estimated two million migrants. Yeah, in, I'm in, sure that's a lot more. But let's let's go with two million for now. Yeah. But anyway, let's just go with two million. Let's mm-hmm. just go with two million, mm-hmm. right? And like you said, there's absolutely no way you can say um, we're just chasing everyone out undocumented. No, you can't. If you un- you can't. Like I mean, it's just imagine the outcry. Yeah. So I think I agree with up to that sense that um, you know government has to find a way, you know, to sort of sweep as 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 the operations called to sweep people out. Yeah. But on the same end, you know, sort of have still have the PR exercises, still maintain, you know, um, still 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 look like you know they about social cohesion and holding hands. So. Like you said, and I think, and I think Peshul, um touched on it earlier on. If you look at Operation Fiala, how it's just sort of metamorphosized, like almost every week, it literally starts as mm. okay, we're gonna we're gonna watch this. We're just gonna start out with the initiators of the violence, uh, but then up until some point, you still need to sweep people out, um, and then it becomes a targeting of of the very people, the the very victims of the xenophobia. But since you can't sort of you know, you can't sort of openly just chase people out. Then you have these things on the side. These are, uh, no, we're going to foster social cohesion mm. by singing the national mm-hmm. anthem. We're going to have a migrant award. You know, all these little minute exercises, you know, to sort of to sort of show people that we actually care when in actual fact um, our actions completely suggest the opposite. <laughs> I mean, I hear you. And I think my, 
I mean, as much as you know, we had a laugh at the beginning. I think it's it's actually really quite tragic to think that there are still people in in displacement camps, oh. people mm. who can't go home for fear that they're going to be killed, or their houses have been burnt and torched, and they they have no businesses to go home to, they have they have no homes to go back to, and and it's and it's really tragic to think that that while that's happening, you have you have millions being pumped into the into the migrant awards, and you have I mean, it's it's. As much as, um, as, 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 as sort of tragically funny as it is, it's, it's, it's actually for me, it's quite depressing to think that there are people still mm. in camps right now. Mm. Doctors Without Borders has a great, a great profile they're running on Daily Maverick called Voices from the Camps. That's mm. actually speaking to, 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 to key people in the camps to tell their story. How did you get to South Africa? What have you been doing in the country? Mm. Um, what circumstances brought you to the displacement camps? And it's, for me, it's just really quite tragic. No, for sure. And, no, okay. Sorry, you want to say something? No, please, Rof, go ahead. No, and I mean, like, if you look at some, because I've been reading some of the stories, yeah. uh, especially, on, uh, I think the Mail and Guardian wrote, had a really good profile on this, mm. sort of talk to people, and some of them, they absolutely, literally have nowhere to go. So you found some, you find someone who came to South Africa, um, let's say they ran away from uh, Burundi or someplace like that, you know, a really war-torn place, or the situation mm. was just untenable, and they had to leave. Um, and then they come to South Africa, yeah. then... After a while, this happens, and now you literally have people who say we literally have nowhere to go. Mm. Uh, going back home isn't an option, you know. Yeah. But our existence is threatened in South Africa. So where do these people go? You know, um, you know. I know there was there was some program where people like uh, they were expatriated and they were taken back home. But some people like I mean, this is Africa. Some people literally have made South Africa their home, and they have absolutely every right to make home wherever they want to. So I mean, those are the margins. Where do they go now? This is my biggest concern. I mean, sorry, Gashmo. No, no. Um, <laughs> I, think, um, I think that's sort of the catch-22, Rof, that you pointed out. I mean, we have people who legitimately need a need need a place to call home, and I've left I've left their homes not voluntarily. And this is not everyone, I understand. A lot of people mm. literally going home is not an option. And you're here. You're not. You're not. You can't live peacefully in your in your in wherever you're from here in your in your township or your suburb because you're afraid to be there. And you're in a displacement camp that, I, that you know, wouldn't be open forever. And it's, you know, <laughs> what happens now? It's very simple mm. for yeah. me also. What I don't understand about the social cohesion yeah. plan yeah. that government has put together is the fact that these are the stories that need to reach people on the ground. To understand why it is that someone would leave Burundi, risk life and limb, and <laughs> leave... All the way. I mean, I, I read the story yeah. of an Eritrean lady mm. that left her six-year-old behind mm-hmm. with... The six-year-old's grandmother. She hasn't seen her child in 10 years. She doesn't have a photograph of her own son. Surely it touches at at some emotional level to understand that this lady is not here because she wants to start a tuck shop. Because it's awesome. Or she just wants to start a tuck shop and come and take a South African job or or, or economic opportunity. There's a fundamental reason why someone would risk life and limb to, to, Mm. to move all the way from Eritrea, all the way to South Africa, which is... You know, it's opposite ends of the continent. You know, the one is in the far north, the other one is in the far, far south. Mm. Why on earth mm. would anyone embark on that uh, on that journey just to come and live in a country where you're told on a day-to-day basis that you're not welcome here? You know, the husband got beaten up to the extent that he's disabled in a taxi, in a South African taxi. Yeah. Because what happened was a bunch of migrants in the taxi. Taxi driver took a funny diversion into mm. an alley where three or four armed thugs were waiting, pulled everyone out of the taxi and beat them and took whatever they had on them. So what I'm saying is, why would anyone want to live under those circumstances 
in, in South Africa? Well, maybe if you t- tell those stories, it will create greater social cohesion because then you understand that these people are running away from serious nonsense. There's where a feeling of, from. And there's a feeling of empathy. I mean, I hear you, and, and I'm not, I don't mean to suggest that, you know, create social cohesion is an easy task. But, but I think you're right. I mean, starting from a place of empathy, you know, that's, mm. that's, that's not a, that's not a bad start of saying what, 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 what brings somebody to this country in the first place. Exactly. And maybe that starts to humanize. Maybe that starts to humanize. Rolf, mm-hmm. anything from you? No, um, I absolutely agree with everything you say. I mean, I think there's just been, uh, and, and I guess you could, this is debatable, but I just think this, that's just sort of the history of this country, how yeah. we just have a, have a habit of sort of putting plasters over gunshot wounds. And to some extent, you know, this is mm. playing itself out again. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, if people heard stories like that, like where you get to empathize with someone, so in, in, instead of just sort of uh, saying, here's, here's an award ceremony we're yeah. setting up, um, you know, uh, we're, we're awarding, you know, exceptional migrants or whatsoever language they use. I mean, I think social cohesion starts, like Yashul said, like when you can empathize with someone, when you can sort of, when you, when you sort of begin to understand why someone would risk their lives to be here, um, that they're not here to sort of, um, sort of just like take whatever job or, or, you know, just to sort of rile up your entitlement, to walk on your entitlement. When you sort of understand that people have risked their lives, um, mm. they need to be here because they need to make a living and, you know, just the, 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 the circumstances that brought them here, I think that sort of would foster for me. Um, the social cohesion rather than just saying here's an award we 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 set up post xenophobic uh, you know after the xenophobic violence absolutely and it, I mean it, and it's not to say no one's doing this I mean like we mentioned Doctors Without Borders and the stories they're tell- telling through the Daily Maverick um, we've spoken to the African Diaspora Forum before and they're doing some great work um, to break down the barriers of this idea that that that, mi- that migrant shop owners mm-hmm. have secret funding or that migrant shop owners have secret business tactics, so there's little pockets that we are finding of people who are actually going to the root causes. But the problem is, it's it just those pockets are so few and far between. But but Kingsley, you yeah. and I work in messaging. Yeah. This is messaging that we're doing right now, yeah. right? The Daily Maverick does messaging messaging yeah. when we write yeah. our various opinion pieces mm-hmm. and articles. Mm-hmm. For goodness sake, if I look at what the messaging is right now on the public, the most public platform, which is television, yeah. it's ridiculous. You have a bunch of pseudo celebrities sitting there going, "Yeah, I know the African like you, like me, and therefore we must not beat them up." That's not good enough. Not in a million years. That that is, or, or then you'll have one of the other senior member of the ANC coming out and say they provided us with a home during the years of apartheid when we were in in exile. Well, guys, Absolutely. for the hundreds of you that were in exile, it's not the millions of South Africans that feel that they've been done in. So if you create messages that resonate with people, rather than telling us that we're common and we're all African and therefore let's get along, guys, kumbaya, mm. sit around the campfire, love each other. That stuff doesn't work. <laughs> it will never work. Um, can, yeah, Rob, can yeah, I please. just quickly add please, on to please, that? Please, please. I, I like what Joshua was talking about yeah. now, messaging. And I mean, like, if, if you just look at, I just want to touch on a different part of, of, of just the dialogue. Please. This how South Africans always cast, there's this sort of exceptionalism we sort of cast ourselves in, right? Mm. The idea that in Africa, we are sort of a little mini And I think that's just sort of how, that's sort of what, that's a breeding ground for the type of hate you're seeing now. Mm. So for example, you'll have um, 
when Bafana Bafana playing like an AFCON game. Mm-hmm. You've, you've heard it, right? We're going oh. to Africa. Mm. We're going to Africa to play. How we sort of exclude ourselves and make ourselves sort of, you know. And when you just have that type of, you know, talk on a daily basis, the idea, reinforcing the idea that oh. somehow South Africa is different and somehow everyone else who isn't uh, born South African, you know, is some other, you know, is, is literally, literally does not belong here. I think that's the type of thing that sort of over the years it starts a breeding ground for hate. And, you know, as Dashiell says, you can't just sort of solve that with a kumbaya. I mean, after years and years of staying with Africa and sort of excluding ourselves from the rest of the continent, and then you can think you can just say, ah, but we're all African, you know, let's just kumbaya. It's too late. It's too late for that. I mean, I hear you. And, I mean, of course, we were cognizant of the reasons for that. I mean, South Africa was separated from the rest of the continent for a long time during apartheid, and there was... There was a forced exclusion for a long time. So I think, I mean, at least it's clear to me why there would be an idea of this us and them. Um, and, mm. I, and I don't think that's the fault of, at least in my opinion, of everyday South Africans for that being the case. Yeah, but, but yeah, the question Bek, is Tom like... Bek, he did remind us that, you know, I'm an African and he gave a beautiful poem which gets repeated every now and again. That's a funny thing. The very same guy attacking someone because he's Somalian would tell you about I'm an African. You know mm. what I mean? That's what I'm saying, that... Uh, uh, I'm not saying Kingsley that you're making excuses here, yeah. but that is part of the excuse culture that we have in this country. Is it, yeah, mm. we're excluded. 21 years later, for goodness sake, you can't, don't get the fact for that you're African. Listen, for me, there's excuses yeah. and there's context, gosh. And for, like, for me, context is important. If we, re, if we understand why there's this feeling of exclusion, mm-hmm. not exclusion, but division, then I think that's where we start. And, and, and we're just giving context. We're not saying oh, it's no one's fault. We're saying, okay, mm-hmm. this is why we are where we are. What does social cohesion mean, and 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 how do we get there? Yeah, so I'm not I giving guess. excuses, and I really like I'm an African, so I think I also took it personally. <laughs> that that's that's that, that's one of my favorites. But no, no, I, I look. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But if you want, thank you, thank you so much for joining us on the show, and please, please keep up the good work you're doing, man. Cool, man. Thanks for having okay, me. Okay, fantastic. Uh, like a chat, man. For everyone listening in, please uh, make sure to follow Rafi on Twitter, and, and he's doing some great work over at Live Magazine. I'm um, so Gushwell. I mean, I think we've we've, we've we're on the sort of cusp of, of, of some ideas around what does social cohesion mean and I think the big question is mm. is how do we get these little pockets these little pockets that are onto something right and not saying mm. they have the mm. answer but these little pockets that are doing some good work man telling the stories and other people are, are sort of breaking the myths about what foreigners are doing and not mm. doing mm. but how do we make that national and how do we how do we institutionalize that 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 because that? I think that's that's the big question I mean, uh, you know, the, the, the work that um, uh, Doctors Without Borders yeah. is doing, I'm, I'm not fancy enough for the French name. <laughs> um, it's wonderful. Uh, it would be great to see something like that on the public broadcaster, yeah. whether it's via radio, whether it's via television. You know, it would be wonderful to get those messages yeah. into such a public space. The unfortunate thing is, is that, you know, um, unfortunately, independent media like the Daily Maverick becomes an enclave for, you know, certain people. It's it's online, man. It's online, you know, it's only accessible to so many people. people. Uh, so, so that for me is, that's really the messaging that needs to be on a public platform. Not the nonsense I've seen from pseudo celebrities coming out and telling, and literally some of them look high. Okay, let's, that's, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> if you're just tuning in, it's a Daily Maverick show. We're talking about Africa Day and the, and the efforts that the, the government is taking to foster social cohesion. Um, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back.
You're just back on the Daily Maverick show on Cliff Central. I'm Kingsley Kipuri. I'm in studio with Gashwal Brooks. We spent the first half hour of the show just talking about Africa Day and some of the, and some of the government efforts to, to sort of foster social cohesion as a continent. Now we're going to take it uh, a bit wider than South Africa and Africa and talk about uh, some of what's going on in Asia. We'll have Simon Allison in just a second. Simon, are you here with us? I'm here with you. Can Fantastic. You? Now, now, Simon, I, I was, I was, as we sort of discussed the preparation for the show, I was, I was just struck by by something that's happened in the past couple of weeks, where we had sort of thousands of people stuck, sort of mid sea off the coast of of, of 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 Burma and Thailand, and I was, I was just trying to figure out what's going on. Like, how are thousands of people stuck on a boat? Who, how did, it, how do we get to this? What's going on? And and it's, it seemed to be something that's been happening over a long time. And I thought, you know, who who better to call than than the, the Noah of all, Simon Allison. <laughs> that's uh that's a very generous description but I'll, I'll roll with yeah it. but really simon what's going on like what, what's what's happening please well you know it is Kingsley. it yeah. is an absurd ridiculous situation you think that here are these boats yeah. with something like what i think there were three thousand people on a few boats mm-hmm. floating without power in the middle of the sea in full view of the world media, um, and the international community. Everyone knew they were there, and yet they couldn't even arrange to get food to them at one point. You know, we were just letting them bob in the water. I mean, I um, hate you. Yeah, and sorry, how, yeah. how does it get to this point? What, what is happening that, uh, this, you know, that this is allowed to occur? And actually, um, I think that the situation of the Rohingya and, and, and these are the people that were on these boats. Mm. They're, they're refugees from Myanmar, yeah. the country formerly, not, formerly known as Burma. Yeah. You know, th- these Rohingya people really represent, they symbolize a few of the major fault lines um, that, are, that the world is dealing with at the moment. So, so it's just a very quick background. They are a community in, a little, in the northwest corner of Myanmar, um, and they're a Muslim community. So there's about 1.1 million of them. Mm-hmm. It's just on the border with between Myanmar and, I think, Bangladesh. Mm. And um, Myanmar, remember, is, as well as being a, a very autocratic, military-led country, it is also a largely Buddhist country. Um, but there are just as many tensions between Buddhists and Muslims as there are between Muslims and Christians, and I guess between uh, any religions in the world. Mm. Um and the Rohingya have historically been very marginalized and discriminated against in um, Burmese society. Now, this sort of escalated about three or four years ago when um, sort of political jostling in Myanmar meant that some political parties started to almost persecute, you know, they started to use persecution of the Rohingya in their political sort of speeches as a way to gain popular support, and this led to some really horrendous violence against the Rohingya community. Um, the UN at one point described it as ethnic cleansing, what was going on there, um, and thousands and thousands of people were killed, mostly civilians, of course, and and that sort of sparked a wave of um, refugees out of Burma. Um, so already in the story, you have, you know, tensions with, with Muslim communities, which, which a lot of countries in the world are experiencing at the moment. You have tensions with migrants in your country, because the Rohingya, you know, they were never considered to be the fully Burmese, because, you know, they'd come historically from across the, the border with, with Bangladesh. Um, so they were always viewed as, as foreigners, and it didn't matter how long they had been in the country, they were still 
foreigners. They were still, you know, taking local jobs. They were still um, benefiting from the state system. Not that many people actually benefit from the Burmese state system, let's be honest. Um, and then you have this idea of, of people fleeing countries, um, looking for somewhere new. And that's how these people ended up on a boat in the ocean, um, looking for someone, anyone, to take them in. And, and the fact that they couldn't find anyone is another reflection of, of just how insular the world is becoming, or perhaps it's always been this way. But, you know, mm. we talk about, you know, uh, this, this concept of African unity we've yeah. been talking about because of Africa Day. Yeah. And, and, you know, the world, um, the United Nations speaks often about integration and how we should act together and work as one. And actually... What's happening is, is people seem to be more and more looking after themselves, and countries are looking out for their own interests, their own um, political sort of demographics that, that almost always exclude migrants and refugees and immigrant populations. So it, it, it really is just a, a devastating situation that symbolizes so much of what's wrong with the world at the moment. I mean, I hear you, Simon. I mean, just 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 reading about it was was just so tragic. You have people who who are being described as literally the most vulnerable people in the world because for for the past few years they have no home to go back to, and and it's actually better. And, and watching some of the interviews, a lot of people are just very clear that it is actually better to be stuck here in the ocean with no food than to go back home. Because if you've, I mean, if you've seen your family being, um, be being killed or tortured or burned, I mean, you, you can't go back. And then which begs the question of just what you brought up of, you know, who's, who, who then should we hold responsible for coming to, to their aid? I mean, there's a few countries that board. I mean, Thailand has come up, Malaysia's come up, Australia has come up. And, and who can we point the finger to, to say it's your responsibility to do something and to help these people? It's, it's a great question. And, and it's the sort of continual, continual, Past the, past the hot potato, you yeah. know, no country is willing to actually take responsibility because they're all worried that, that if you say yes to the, this thousand people, then you're actually saying yes to the hundred thousand people that will inevitably follow. Um, but I think that, you know, what I think needs to happen is, mm. is a change of mindset, you know, how we view refugees and migrants and immigration at the moment, how, how it's viewed in the sort of popular political discourse is that these are takers. They are coming to take stuff from our society. Yeah. They're yeah. coming to, um, it'll, it'll harm the society. It'll damage the, the cohesion of the nation. And you're seeing this rhetoric everywhere, you know, from mm. the xenophobic riots in South Africa to um, the anti-immigration stance of the political parties in the UK to the countries like Malaysia and Thailand who had to be pressured for weeks before they even considered taking in the Rohingya refugees in the sea. So that is the narrative, but it's the wrong narrative. If you look at history, immigrants have almost always been a massive boost to societies and economies, and nowhere is a better example of this than the United States of America the world's dominant economy, the world's dominant superpower, and you know what it is? It is a nation of immigrants. It was founded by, you know, Puritans from Britain and mm. Irish fleeing the potato famine, and, you know, all kinds of various immigrant groups ended up in America, mm. and it has made it what it is today. Um, and I think that if, if only countries could appreciate the, the wealth that, migrants bring with them. And it's not necessarily talking about financial wealth. We're yeah. talking about 
intellectual wealth, cultural wealth, um, you know, creating a community that, that, that's not homogenous, that is heterogeneous, that, that has different viewpoints, and, and communities are always stronger um, in those situations. So we really need to be pushing the narrative that actually we want immigrants. Let's open our doors and take them because I think any country that does would be better off in the long run for it. I mean, I hear you. And Gashul and I were talking before just around about the African Union and social cohesion and so on. And, and, mm. and what is a more sort of more powerful way to do this than rather than getting a, a famous DJ to go on the radio and say, <laughs> you know, don't kill foreigners. And, and, and it's really interesting what you're saying. Imagine if we just flipped it completely and said, this is a great benefit and a boost to us. Like, then mm. actually just like push the benefits rather. Sorry, Gashua. But there's another side to it, uh, Simon. I mean, there's an opposite end of the coin. I mean, you, I think, pointed out what is the salient, responsible message and understanding of what immigrants do for any nation. Uh, but then in South Africa, there's a, a common perception, and I think it's a global perception if you look at the responses, especially from uh, poorer uh, Europeans, you know, the type of guys that would say that the Albanians are here taking all our jobs, but guess what? You're not going to do the job that the Albanian guy, inverted commas, is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you know, there is that argument that gets bandied about, and I think, I mean, the Australians have latched onto it very successfully themselves, and Australia sort of saying, but hang on, you know what? We're not too excited with Southeast Asian immigrants and migrants persistently knocking at our door, um, and that's why we don't want anything to do with these guys. Uh, you know, how do you then get this? And, and and the sad thing is, I think the public buy into that argument that migrants are there to spoil the party for everyone else. How do we shift that 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 perception? Because I think that's that's part of the problem. Here. It is, and it's, I mean, it's a hugely emotive thing. But that, that that simple line, um, the foreigner is taking a job. Mm. You know, you hear that time and time again, all over. Um, all over the world, really. There was a lovely story a, a, a couple of years ago, you know, when Portugal was going through some, some very um, bad financial times. Mm. Of course, it still is. There was a sudden um, influx of Portuguese immigrants mm. leaving Portugal and going to Angola and Mozambique. <laughs> and, of course, that's the, that's the opposite of how it has mm. always yeah, been. Yeah, what you'd And one of the news articles quoted a Mozambican mechanic who said, Ah, he's Portuguese, you know, they just come here and they take our jobs. And it was, it was actually quite wonderful to, to hear that in the, in the other context, you yeah. know, because we're so used to, uh, Africans being, being stereotyped as the ones, um, causing the problems in, in Western societies. So, look, I think the first thing we need to do is revert to a more fact-based argument. And this, is a very difficult thing to do in the realm of politics. I'm well aware of that. Mm-hmm. But see, for example, in Britain, any study that's been done on the economic impact of immigrants into Britain has found that overwhelmingly immigrants pay more in tax, significantly more, than they take in benefit. So effectively, the immigrant population of Britain is subsidizing Britain's welfare system. So all the Brits that are taking something from the state, that's being subsidized by those immigrants. But that's not the narrative you hear. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't hear anything based on the numbers. So the first thing we need to try and do is is, is have a debate based on numbers and and persuade our politicians to stop stop taking the easy road. But, I mean, it's easier said than done because it's, it's a very easy way to win popular support. And I think that's why this problem isn't going to go away anytime soon because hell if I was a politician looking to get ahead, yeah. that's the line I would take. And it, it works and I think I think this is becoming even more pressing. I mean Simon, this is something you and I have touched on before. 
um, that the UN Refugee Agency has, 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 has done some studies and they've announced that there's, there's more refugees and asylum seekers and displaced people worldwide than since World War II. So you've got 50 million people. Mm. That's almost the, the, the population of South Africa. Mm. For whatever reason, who, who are either refugees, asylum seekers, or displaced. So this is clearly not a South African issue or just a, uh, a, a, you know, a Thai issue, an Australian issue. All over the world, from Syria, Iraq, Central African Republic, this issue of, of, of displaced people and refugees, mm. whether economic or conflict refugees, it's, it's, it's so big and it's on the rise. So we really need a, a way that's, that's not just South African government, African Union government, or, or just the UN. Like, as the whole world needs to take a step back and, and we need to figure something out. Sorry, Gashwal. But what I find a bit difficult, I mean, if you look at it, the Daily Maverick yeah. has been running a series of articles by uh, Africa Check, uh, which is a wonderful resource mm. because they actually go out there and they do the research. And it's yeah. not sort of some uh, civil society organization that has a stick, uh, you know, that has a stake in it. It is an academic organization, right, uh, linked to a university. So we know that this research is, is well put together and that it makes sense. And Again, as I said, part of my living is talking to people. And then you say to people, but hang on, guys, all these numbers that you're quoting there, all the figures that you're throwing out, the supposed negative economic impact that immigrants are supposedly having in this country, it's it's all disproved by actual research that that, that shows that they're actually adding and that they're employing more South Africans, that they're renting from South Africans, etc., etc. And you know what people, ordinary people say? Well, no, those people have an agenda. Those people don't want us to, to get angry at, at foreigners. People like you, Gershwal, in the media are trying, you know, you're just spreading propaganda type thing. So, realistically, what my question is, how do we get this message through to people without necessarily taking flag for it? And people actually accepting it as the truth. Because Simon is saying, let's use the numbers. Yeah. We're trying to use the numbers. It doesn't seem to be resonating. Gershwal? It's a great question, and I have no answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I mean, that's, you're right, that's the big question. We're talking yeah. about social cohesion, we're talking about theory-based and fact-based arguments, mm. and I think that's actually the big question. How do you translate these big, these big number-driven reports to, to somebody on the ground, you know, in the township or in the suburbs to, to understand? Because governments are getting away with, with murder, quite frankly, in that they're feeding this anger. I mean, Operation Fiela, uh, you know, Minister Lindue Zulu coming out and saying, hey, you know, the foreigners need to give us their secrets because supposedly there's a secret way of trading. Um, you know, all these things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, they, 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 isn't it? Hey? how politicians come up with It's just pathetic. <laughs> I mean, I think the one thing we haven't talked about, and, and unfortunately this takes us back from solutions into problems, is just the, is the issue of the med- Mediterranean, uh, migrants who cross from, from North Africa, Northern East Africa, and go into Europe. Now, now, Simon, this is something that we talked about briefly when there was a, when there was a boat that, that sunk and some of the migrants, um, died and, and there was a big hoo-ha about it and then we sort of stopped talking about it. But, I mean, what's, where, where are these people coming from? What's the issue in North Africa? Is it Libya and is that, can we link that to the issues that, that happened in Libya and, and, and the West role and what happened in Libya? Could you just paint the picture for us on the, on the North African migration? It's kind of, uh, the reason that, 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 uh, boat crossing yeah. um, on the Mediterranean have peaked recently. It's a sort of confluence of three factors. Okay. Um, one is a very steady stream of refugees from Eritrea, mm-hmm. refugees and economic migrants from Ethiopia who mm-hmm. have long used those corridors to get into Europe. Um, and in particular, the, the, the ones from Eritrea are seeing a, a very 
um, violence and autocratic dictatorship. Yeah. Um, mm. so, so there really is a lot of them trying to escape. That's one thing. The second thing is the Syrian civil war. Um, that is pushing hundreds of thousands of Syrians out of Syria, and they are looking for new places to go. There are several different routes. You know, one is through Turkey, one is cutting across the Mediterranean, actually through Lebanon. Um, another is going down through Egypt and then into Libya and then across the Mediterranean from there. So you've got a lot more, you've got a huge spike in numbers going using that route. Mm. The third thing was the collapse of the Libyan state. And that basically, you know, what Gaddafi did when he was still around is he entered into a deal with Europe to basically police his, his entire coast and to prevent the, the people smuggling boats from using the coast as a safe haven. So you couldn't really go from Libya to mm. Europe. It was really hard. He made it difficult. Then mm. he was killed. Libya fell into complete chaos. Um, some would call it anarchy, with, with rival governments fighting for control and no one really in charge of anything. And suddenly, all those ports, and Libya has a huge coastline, all those ports became available, and, and they became all those little loopholes for people smugglers to use. So you have a vastly increased refugee um, and migrant demand mm. with the sudden new, newly available um, option um, for them to use through Libya. So that's really what, what has created such a spike in the numbers that are, that are using the Libyan boat crossing. And I think um, it, it has scared you because the numbers are big and they don't quite know how to handle them. And they, of course, have got the same problems everywhere with yeah. countries not wanting to take responsibility and the northern European countries insisting that the southern European countries like Greece and Italy, yeah. where they land, that they must take full responsibility and they, of course, can't afford to. So it, it's a political mess. In Europe as well. I mean, you're right. It just sounds and like the perfect storm of, of, of issues coming from, from the southern side and they've got, we've got the economic issues in Europe. And I think it's just so down in the, in their priority list of trying to figure out what to do with this and they're trying to figure out their own economies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, the ironic thing is, if you think of yeah. the amount of money that, that you have spent to, to unseat Gaddafi, mm. um, if they, if they put that into sensible refugee programs instead, um, they'd be way ahead of the game. I think, but now they've they spent that money. They've, they've used that political capital, yeah. and and now they're dealing with with a problem that that is largely of their own making. To be honest, I mean, I hear you. I mean, Simon. I mean, we don't have too much time, but just I think my final question is: you're going to be covering the AU here in in Joburg and and then in Addis over the next couple of months. And I'm I'd like to just hear from you your perspective of how how high up the priority list is this for the AU, and 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 do you think they've got they've, they've got the sort of political will? and the kind of ideas to actually make some headway on, on these complex issues? This is a very difficult question yeah. to say. Um, the two things that, that make it politically sensitive. Yeah. The first is that um, it all centers on why do people want to leave, right? Why are people leaving Africa to look for something else? Mm. Um, and in every instance, it's because Africa is not offering its people what it should be. So, it's a sense that Africa has failed. So by acknowledging the refugee crisis, they're kind of acknowledging their own failure. Um, and this is development failures in the case of, of, of most countries. Um, and in the case of a few countries, and I'm thinking the likes of Eritrea, it is 
deep, deep political failures where the state is actually persecuting deliberately its citizens. Yeah. Um, now, the, the AU... Everyone forgets the AU is not some body that exists outside of the continental politics. It, it is a representative body. It's one country, one vote, right? Mm. So it can't do anything that its countries don't vote on. Um, and the majority of the countries don't vote on. So it needs a majority of countries to sort of first acknowledge the problems, their own problems, to acknowledge that they're failing to provide development to their people, to acknowledge that they are persecuting or discriminating their people. And they just can't get the political will from member states to do that. No member state is going to go to the African Union in Addis or in Joburg next month and say, hey, you know what? We really failed. Um, and as a result of our failure, we've got all these people leaving. So please help us sort this out. It's yeah. just not going to happen. Sad state of I'm surprised by how often our conversations end with, with us needed to fix continental and, and global governance. But, I mean, Simon, thank you. We're just about to run out of time. Thank you so much for coming on, and we'll continue to just chat to you as you cover the, the, the AU talks. Thanks, Kingsley. Okay, thank you so much. Gashwell, we were talking before, and this is actually going to be your last show with us. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Um, Let the cat out of the bag. No, really, it's exposure. It's just a big thank you for 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 coming on every now no, and then. Really pleasure, I really appreciate it, man. No, no, really. With everything. Thanks, man. Fantastic. Uh, this is the Daily Mavic Show on Cliff Central. Remember to download the podcast and share it with all your friends. We will see you next week. Thank you. Central.com